As you can see by the communion tables in the front here, um, we're taking another little break from our series in the book of Revelation. Dwayne will be back next week to finish that series up by preaching on the last church. Um, <clears throat> over the last couple months, we've taken some very intentional Sundays uh, to preach a sermon on the Lord's Supper, on communion, and then also to observe it. And we've done this intentionally, and, and we intend to do so moving forward, um, because we really want Fairlawn to understand what Scripture has to say about the Lord's Supper. There's a great benefit in it for the individual believer and also for uh, the body of Christ here as a whole, also for us as a church as a whole. Um, and being convicted and convinced of this, we've decided to take some intentional Sundays to speak on it. And so that is where we will be this morning. Um, Puritan John Owen gets at the heart of what I want to talk about this morning over the Lord's Supper uh, when he actually expresses a concern about it. And he says this, One reason why we so little value the ordinance, that is the supper, and profit so little by it, may be because we understand so little of the nature of that special communion with Christ which we have therein. Uh, and I feel like that is just as true today as it was when he wrote it. Um, you know, we, <clears throat> we call what we're going to do here this morning communion. Uh, we put it in the bulletin last week and we told you that we're going to celebrate communion. Do we really understand what that means? Do we really understand what it means to have communion with God and with Christ at the table. Hopefully after this morning we will. Um, if you uh, take out your bulletin insert, that's going to be our aim this morning, to understand the nature of the believer's communion with God and his communion with Christ at the table. Uh, and even before we get into communion with God, I didn't want to put the cart before the horse, as they say. I want to talk for just a moment about how we enter into communion with God, uh, because I have no doubt that there may be people here who have not yet done that. Um, and so uh, for your sake and for the sake of all of our edification, I'd like to point that out um, in a moment here. So first, we're going to look at union with Christ very briefly and then what it means to be in communion with God as a believer, and then very specifically, what does it mean to have communion with Christ in the Lord's Supper? Uh, we're going to be going to a lot of different texts this morning. I'm going to have them up on the projector for you, um, but our kind of launching pad text is going to be 1 Corinthians 10, 16. I'll go ahead and read that from the King James Version, and then we'll pray and again ask the Spirit to come and help us. 1 Corinthians 10:16 The cup of blessing which we bless is it not the communion of the blood of Christ the bread which we break is it not the communion of the body of Christ Father we come here this morning as your children needing to hear from you we come needing to be strengthened by what your word has spoken by the ordinance that we will observe, by the supper. I just pray that your spirit would come and would speak to us. As I speak to ears, would you speak to hearts? Make plain what your word has to say about this, that we might be strengthened and encouraged as we come to partake. I pray this all in the name of Jesus. 
Amen. So beginning then, uh, how do we get into communion with Christ? Not going directly to that yet. So uh, this, this idea of union with Christ, how do, we, how do we become united to Jesus and therefore enter into what we call communion with the living God? Well, Scripture is very clear about how you get into a relationship with God. It's by faith in Jesus Christ. Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 6. He says that believers are united to Jesus in his death and they are united to him in his resurrection. He uses language in Ephesians like being in Christ. And this, uh, it's this idea that when we exercise our faith upon Jesus and we trust and we believe in him, we become spiritually inseparably tied and connected to Jesus. We become united to him. And it's on the basis of that union with Christ, of our faith in him, that we then enter into communion with God, which is a very theological way to say we have a relationship with God. And so that's how you get into communion with God, through faith in Jesus Christ, being united to him in his death and in his resurrection. So what then is the nature of the believer's communion with God. Well, this word that's used here in 1 Corinthians 10, 16, this communion word, uh, is a Greek word, koinonia, and a very basic definition of it is this, uh, a having in common. So something, uh, the basis of, on which a relationship is built is the fact that something is common between two, uh, both individuals. You share something in common. Now this word koinonia is translated in English as a bunch of different words actually throughout scripture. It's translated as participation, which it might actually say in your version of that text. Uh, sharing, fellowship. We see fellowship, it's often translated as this uh, koinonia from, from that Greek word. All of these different words, uh, as, as it's been translated in these different words, have different nuances of meaning. Um, but ultimately, it's most often used to talk about our relationship with God and also our relationship with other brothers and sisters in Christ. A couple examples here of texts that speak about our relationship with God in this way. 1 John 1.3 says this, And our fellowship, it's that Greek word koinonia, is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. So we have this fellowship, this communion with the Father and with Jesus. Second Corinthians thirteen fourteen says this, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship, the koinonia of the Holy Spirit be with you all. So we see that scripture is using this word here, fellowship, communion, koinonia, to explain our relationship with God, this communion that we have with him. Now that's a very basic definition, but now actually talking about communion with God, what does that actually look like? We say those words, what does this relationship between us and him actually entail? John Piper has a great definition of it, and it's in your bulletin for reference. He says, communion with God refers to God's communication and presentation of himself to us together with our proper response to him with joy. Now, this is a pretty fancy definition of communion with God, but I think it's a very good one. 
But ultimately, all Piper is saying is that this is a relationship. There's give and take in any relationship, right? God is communicating and presenting himself to us, the believer, and we are responding to him with joy. So he's giving himself to us, and we are giving ourselves to him. This is the the basics of what communion with God means. It's just an active relationship with God, where he is giving himself to us, and we are giving back to him. Now, the main question, I think, to ask from this definition is how does God communicate and present himself to us? How does he do this? I think that it has to be, and it is, through the power of the Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit is the one who communicates and presents God to us, spiritually speaking. We, our fellowship or our communion with God has to be spiritual in nature because God is spirit, is he not? And so we know the critical role of the Holy Spirit in our relationship with God. When we have faith in Jesus Christ, we're given the gift of the Holy Spirit. He indwells every believer and he is the one who essentially uh, connects us to God. He is the one who fosters our relationship with God. It's through His Spirit speaking to our spirit as He dwells within us. So the fellowship or communion we experience with God is spiritual in nature, and it comes through the Holy Spirit within every believer. Now this is very abstract language. It's kind of hard to grab your, get, get your hands around and really like say, okay, I really understand what you're saying. It's kind of difficult to do that, and I think that God understood that, and he actually gave us a very good image to associate our relationship with him, to help us understand what really happens and how we have communion with him. And it's the image that Jesus uh, says in John 5, uh, 15, 5, of the vine and the branches. He says this, I am the vine, you, believers, are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him He it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. So this image seeks to take that abstract uh, communion with God, all this uh, heady theological language, and bring it down to an easy, understandable image that we can see. Jesus says, I am the vine. You are the branches. He's saying, believers who are connected to me, I give life to. I communicate myself to them, and in response, they bear much fruit. Just as a vine gives life to its branches and they bear fruit, this is what our relationship with God looks like. It's a very good, tangible picture for us. And even look at the relational language that's in this text. Whoever abides in me and I in him. We see here that dynamic of give and take, do we not? We abide in Christ. He abides in us. He gives to us. We receive. We give back to Him. This is what our relationship with God looks like, what this communion or fellowship with Him entails. So our communion with God is our spiritual relationship with Him, where He shares Himself with us through the Holy Spirit that lives within us, And then we respond to him with love and joy and obedience. 
This is the nature of what I would call our general communion with God, what we experience in our everyday lives. And now let us consider more specifically how we have communion with Christ in the Lord's Supper. And I'm going to do the same thing I did in the first point. We're going to deal with some texts, and it's going to be a little hard to grasp. And I'm going to try and bring it down to earth so we can get our hands around what actually happens at the table. So I think that there are more than three, but I have three evidences uh, that I think point us to the fact that we have spiritual communion with Christ at the table that is a unique communion or fellowship with him. The first is the text that we read at the beginning, 1 Corinthians 10, 16. I'll read it again. Paul says, The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion, Greek word koinonia, of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? Now, given our understanding of of our communion with God, this text shows us that we have communion very specifically with the body and the blood of Jesus at the table. That's what Paul is talking about here. In a very unique way, we have communion with Christ. In a very unique way, the Holy Spirit is communicating Jesus to us through the bread and through the cup. And we are responding to him with joy, and insofar as we do this, we have communion together with him. See, what Paul is getting at here is that there is a real spiritual fellowship that is unique to the table. It's unique because of the unique way in which the Spirit is presenting Jesus to us, the unique way that he is communicating Christ to us. So positively stated, we have communion with the body and with the blood of Christ when we come in a worthy manner. Second evidence is a page over in 1 Corinthians 11, 29, and 30. And this is, <clears throat> excuse me, this is a section of Scripture where Paul is laying out the Lord's Supper in great detail. And it comes uh, as him correcting the Corinthians for their misuse of the Lord's Supper. And he says this in verse 29. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. So we see here that Paul says, when somebody comes to the table in an unworthy manner, believer or unbeliever, and drinks and eats in an unworthy manner, they eat and drink judgment on themselves. Now I want to argue, you might be asking, how does that How does that mean that something positive happens at the table? I'm going to argue from implication, right? So if somebody comes to the table in an unworthy manner, they reap a consequence, a negative consequence of judgment. I would say that that implies that if somebody comes to the table in a worthy manner, that they experience something positive. They receive something positive from God. So on the one hand, An unworthy partaker receives judgment. By implication, the worthy partaker experiences communion with Christ. And I think that this is a reasonable implication to make given the fact that Paul in a chapter before had just spoken about the active communion that we have with Christ at the table. Those two texts and then the third evidence is uh, a historical cultural evidence 
So what does it mean to have table fellowship? What did it mean to have table fellowship to share a meal with somebody in the first century? I think we grasp some of this in our culture today, but not nearly as strongly as it was for them. So I want to give you a little bit of information to help you understand what sharing a meal with somebody in the first century actually meant. It meant far more than just sitting down and eating together, which I think is often the way that we understand it. In the first century, sharing a meal with someone had social and relational implications. Consider what author Dennis Smith says about table fellowship in the first century. He says, A universal symbol of the table was its function to designate a special relationship between the participants at the meal. Indeed, any gathering of friends around the table was seen as an event that created a special tie among the diners. A special tie among the diners. We know this to be true, do we not? We know this to be true not only because of what he says here. Um, we see this in the Gospels. That's why, Jesus, or that's why the Pharisees get so upset with Jesus when he goes and he eats meals with sinners and tax collectors. Because something was going on there that was much more significant than just eating together. But we know that there's a special tie between people because we experience this when we share a meal with a friend or with family, do we not? Do we not experience what is being spoken of here? Is there not uh, something special about gathering around a table and sharing a meal? Hopefully you'll go and do that after the service today. Is there not an intimate relationship that is established or cultivated when you get around a lunch or dinner table? I'm sure all of you have had fond memories of relationships that were formed and fostered through sharing meals with other people. I mean, just think for a moment about your typical Thanksgiving gathering. Now, I realize that those aren't always pleasant, uh, but, but can you not think of a fond memory where you just knew that something more was going on here than just eating and drinking together? So it is with the Lord's Supper. We must understand that when a Jew or anybody in the first century sat down and ate a meal together, they understood that something more was happening. This is what, this is what would have been in the minds of the, the first century Christians when Christ invites them to the table. He invites them to have a meal. This is what would have been going through their minds. You see, when we come to the table in a worthy manner, we have a spiritual communion with Christ that is very unique. Our relationship with Him is cultivated and grows as we share this meal. Church, when you come to the table, you do not simply eat bread and drink juice in order to remember what Jesus did. That is most definitely a part of it. When Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, He said, take and eat, take and drink. Do this in remembrance of me. There is certainly something mental that must go on within us when we see the bread symbolizing the body of Jesus and the blood symbolizing his shed, uh, or the, the uh, cup symbolizing his shed blood. This must take us mentally back to the cross. But something more is happening than just going through a mental exercise. When we come in a worthy manner, we share a spiritual meal with Jesus where He is communicating Himself to us in a very unique manner, and where we have the opportunity to receive that 
and to respond to him with love and joy and obedience. So the three evidences that we have, there's a special communion that happens at the table. First, the positive statement of it in 1 Corinthians 10, 16, that we have communion with the body and blood of Christ. Secondly, given the negative example of judgment that happens when one partakes in an unworthy manner, I believe this implies that something positive happens when one partakes in a worthy manner. And then thirdly, the reality of the intimate fellowship that happens around a meal or around a table. Now yet again, a little theological, a little hard to get our hands around and to understand. Let's try to bring it down to a, more, uh, a place where we can grasp it a little bit more easily. So what are the specific blessings of coming to the table in a worthy manner and experiencing communion with the body and blood of Jesus? I think that there are many. I will list three. First, through communion, we are spiritually fed and strengthened by Christ. Note that, spiritually. Through communion, we are spiritually fed and strengthened by Christ. Have you ever asked yourself the question when, when thinking about the Lord's Supper, why did Jesus choose eating bread and drinking a, a liquid substance, wine at the time, to be the ordinance that his people would repeatedly do to remember and to have communion with him? Why did he choose eating bread and drinking wine? I think that there are two reasons, primarily. First, the bread and the drink are a constant reminder of our need. The bread and the drink are a constant reminder of our need. As truly as we need bread and drink to survive spiritually, what is spoken to us in the supper is that we need Jesus just as bad to survive spiritually. That's what's being communicated to us. Our need for Jesus. Not our need for material things to go within us, but our spiritual need for Jesus. Secondly, the bread and the drink are a constant reminder of Christ's provision for us. Just as bread and drink nourish our physical bodies, Christ feeds and strengthens our souls when we come to the table. Do you remember in John 6, Jesus' bread of life discourse, where he, he, he tells these people, I am the bread of life. Do we not see that there is some connection between the physical thing that we're partaking of and the spiritual reality that it indicates to us? That just as we are eating a physical substance physically and drinking something physically, so too Christ is nourishing and providing for our souls? I believe that it is. Dwayne, when he preached his last sermon on, on communion, uh, he said something that I absolutely love. He said, when you come to the table and you partake in a worthy manner of the bread and of the cup, you are feasting on the promises of God. 
You are spiritually feasting on the promises of God. And that is what is before us this morning. When you come to the table, you feast on the promises of God that He has made available to you through Jesus' shed blood and His broken body. When we partake of the bread and of the cup, it reminds us of Jesus' sacrifice for us and we are spiritually nourished by understanding what He accomplished for us. Though you come to the table weak, you ought to leave strong. Christ is presenting himself to us in the bread and in the cup. And what he's seeking to tell us is, you need me. And as you come in faith, you will receive me. And I want you to leave strengthened. That's your proper response. And as he presents himself in this way, and as you come and you receive and you leave with joy, you've experienced communion with Christ at the table. He's communicating himself to us and he desires that we receive and respond to him with joy and with love. So first, through communion, we are spiritually fed and strengthened by Christ. Secondly, through communion, we are spiritually assured of God's grace and faithfulness to us. Theologian John Murray says this about the cup. When we partake of the cup in faith, it is the Lord's own certification to us that all that the new covenant in His blood involves is ours. It is the seal or the assurance of His grace and faithfulness to us. As you come to the table this morning, understand that Jesus has given this to you to confirm His grace and faithfulness to you. Spiritually speaking, He is communicating that His grace and faithfulness is for us. I've often thought about why God gave us the supper and I think it's because He knows that we are weak and that through coming and partaking of it, He strengthens us. When we come to the table, we come beaten down by life. We come beaten down by our own sin and by our our own doubts before God. And when we're able to come to the table and understand what it symbolizes, Christ is able to communicate Himself to us in a very unique way so as to assure us of our standing before Him. That all of the grace and all of the faithfulness and everything that He purchased on the cross is for us. You see, He has given us this meal to assure our hearts afresh every time we take it that what Christ did on the cross was for us. Though you come to the table feeling unworthy, perhaps even doubting God's grace and faithfulness to you, you ought to leave assured that all of these promises are yours when you come in faith. Through communion, we are spiritually fed and strengthened by Christ. Through communion, we are spiritually assured of God's grace and faithfulness to us. And lastly, through communion, we are spiritually assured that our sins are pardoned. 
Puritan Jeremiah Burroughs says it beautifully. He says, those sins of mine that have so wore on my conscience and for which I have had fearful thoughts of the clouds of God's displeasure hanging over my head, this day I am going to have the assurance of my pardon of them all. What, what he is saying is this, is that the time between observing the Lord's Supper, we are beaten down by our struggle with sin. We understand that we have displeased God and the weight of that wears on our conscience. But he says that this day, as I come to partake of the supper, I'm going to have my assurance that they have all been pardoned when I come in faith when I come in a worthy manner. This morning, if that is the way that you come, if you come worn and beaten down by your sin, acknowledging that you have failed God, and this is weighing on your conscience, you may come to the table with great sorrow, but you must leave with great joy. Understanding, assured that Christ has pardoned all of your sins. As you come weak, needing Christ, as you come doubting His grace and faithfulness, as you come burdened by your sin, receive what He is telling you in the elements. Receive and understand that He is seeking to nourish you, to strengthen you. Receive and understand that the promise of His grace and faithfulness is for you. Receive that your sins have been pardoned. Respond appropriately. Leave strengthened. Leave assured. And you will have a experienced communion with Christ at the table. Jesus is inviting us to have a meal with him this morning. He's seeking to communicate himself to us as our Savior and as all that we need. Let us receive him in that manner and let us go from here with great joy and strengthened. Before I pray over our time of partaking, I'd just like to give you a few instructions uh, for partaking of the elements. Um, we've brought all of the elements here to the center table. Um, there are gluten-free elements at the very center as well. If you have a gluten intolerance, feel free to, to partake of those. Uh, you may come alone. You can come in groups. You can come as a family. Uh, however you feel comfortable coming and partaking, you're more than welcome to do so. When you're, uh, actually, once you grab the elements, feel free to take them at the table if you wish. If you want to step off to the side, um, you're more than welcome to do that. There's plenty of room up front. When you're finished, you can just set your cups on uh, any of the three tables. And this must be said, um, because, of the, because of the fact that communion is actually communion with Christ, because of the fact that something spiritual is happening here. Uh, it's imperative that only those who are actually united to Jesus by faith, that actually have a relationship with him, 
who have trusted in Jesus and have entered into that relationship with him, that it is only for those who have done this. So if you find yourself here knowing that you have not placed your faith in Christ, we ask that you refrain from coming and partaking of the elements so as to not partake in an unworthy manner and to drink and eat judgment upon yourself. But let me encourage you if that's you. There's still something here for you. Remember what I said. I want you to be thinking about this if you do not come and partake and you know that you have no faith in Christ at this point. Remember why he gave the supper. He gave it to speak, to show us of our need for him. And he gave it to show us that he has made provision for our need. And so let that be the message that it speaks to you. Now let us pray and ask uh, for God's blessing to be here. And when I'm finished, uh, you can just come and partake as you feel ready. Father, we thank you for being so gracious to us to give us this meal, to give us this chance to come and receive Christ in a very intimate and special way, to have communion with him as you communicate him to us as a savior. Lord, I pray that our hearts would understand what is happening here. That your spirit would be at work within us. That as we come weak and weary, that you would help us to leave strong and assured that all that communion symbolizes in the body and blood of Christ is ours by faith in Jesus. Feed us, strengthen us, assure us as we come. Pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen.